Welcome everyone to 90 Day with Mary Jane Kay. Today we're going to break down Before the 90 Days, Season 5, Episode 7, Never Have I Ever. Usman is impressed with how Kim took charge of the video shoot, so now he's spending one-on-one -on -one time with her to see where things could go. And they're going to explore Zanzibar, and Usman thinks it's the perfect romantic setting. And he tells Kimberly he likes her a lot, and she says that she likes him too. Thank you. She seems a little unhappy with the I like you. And she says, I love you. She tells this man she loves him. And they arrive in Stonetown and it's beautiful. There's beaches and bazaars. There's old architecture. Couldn't be more beautiful. And they're shopping and Kim wants Usman to wear a hat that is similar to Michael Jackson in Smooth Criminal. And knowing she has that shrine to Michael Jackson with all the memorabilia in her house and seeing her to try to have Usman buy similar hats, she already compared them as artists last episode. It really makes me think that she really is in love with Michael Jackson. So what she's doing is she's trying to mold Usman, even subconsciously, to become her Michael Jackson. And this is the second comparison so far. We'll see how far it goes. If these two make it, I really hope that she's into Usman for Usman and not to fulfill a fangirl fantasy in her head. It could be nothing. We'll just have to wait and see. Now, he's trying on the hat and Kim is laughing and giggling like a schoolgirl. She could barely stand up. She's so come over with emotions by this. And it really seems to be doing it for her. And Usman mentions in a confessional that Kim is obsessed with Michael Jackson. And he likes Michael too, but that with Kim, it's totally different that she's crazy. And in confessional, Kim says that this is the day that she's been wanting to finally have one-on-one -on -one time with Usman in public. But she wants to see more affection and more intimacy from him. She says she needs to know if the chemistry is there. And Kim and Usman are holding hands, walking along, and she tells him, you always knew you'd be my personal Michael Jackson, right? I find this creepy, and it feels like she wants Usman to fulfill her Michael Jackson fantasy, and not really because she is into Usman for Usman. And they spend all day together walking around, and Kim says, now that the video shoot is over, the more time they spend together, the better. She came for the video, but also to be his potential girlfriend, so they have to get to know each other, meaning sex. And she wants Usman to give up his separate hotel room and stay with her. This is weird to me that this 50-year-old woman is basically buying expensive gifts and having Usman fulfill a weird Michael Jackson fantasy. And she did all this expecting sex in return, and it feels transactional and it feels gross. Usman isn't standing on a corner somewhere. Usman doesn't want to, and he doesn't understand why the pressure or the rush. He feels they should share a room if they decide to be together, boyfriend and girlfriend, not before. Kim says, well, what if we don't decide till the last day? Then what? That's crazy. Usman doesn't owe Kimberly sex, and I feel like she feels he owes her it, and that's what I don't like. If this was an older guy and a younger girl, this would not be okay at all. It's the same for Kimberly, and you should only want people who gladly want to be with you. If you have to chase someone and pressure them, they obviously aren't down. And if you love yourself, you will want someone who wants you and know not to force it. Kim's getting upset, and Usman reminds her that the agreement was separate rooms from the very beginning. And Kim tells Usman that he needs to also respect her rules. And Usman says, 
You want everything done your way. And that's what happened in my last relationship. Usman tells Kim he feels she's just trying to get sex and go back home. So even if it didn't work out, at least she got what she wanted. Kim says all they have is this time and it's not like she's begging him for sex. Really? My comment here is what about night one, gifting him the MacBook and the PS5 when you asked him to stay in your room? Usman made it clear since day one what he was comfortable with. And Kim says, just forget it. And her whole demeanor changes because she isn't getting the sex that she came for. She wants to go back to the hotel. And in confessional, she says, she doesn't know what else Usman could want to stay with her in her room. She's been attentive, loving. She's been his assistant and manager. She's done everything she can do so that Usman will want to go to her room. That Usman will clear the cobwebs. The last thing she will do is beg. Honey, you've already begged a million times. Not a good look to look so desperate. Again, this is just incredibly transactional on Kim's part, and I really find it to be a poor attempt at manipulation, and it's really highly disturbing as well. Good for Usman that he stood his ground. Next, we go to Panama with Jasmine and Gino, and Jasmine had laid some dresses on the bed, and she wants Gino to pick one so she can pick the one he didn't pick. And Gino says that they worked through the fight about his exes, but that Jasmine also admitted that she was on birth control and Gino was super disappointed by this because he thought they were actively trying to start a family and Jasmine's divorce has gone through so now she's going to party with her friends to celebrate and Gino asks if his her friends have invited him and she says no no men allowed that she's celebrating her divorce and she doesn't want Gino to be a part of that and Gino says that's fine but he looks bummed he doesn't do anything about it or say anything he just lets her go but imagine if, for a second, if Gino was getting a divorce and he had an only guy's night and he had a stripper there and Jasmine wasn't allowed to go and she flew all the way to America during a pandemic to be with him. Would she have let that fly? I don't think so. The double standards blow my mind. Gino seems to adhere to Jasmine's rules and control, but the same standards don't seem applied to to apply to Jasmine towards Gino. And she says that Gino isn't invited because it's creepy to invite your new boyfriend to your divorce party and things have been hard between them. She has issues trusting him plus the arguments. So it'll be really good to be apart for the night. And she comes out and expects Gino to put on her shoes. She says, my shoes, baby, you know what to do. And he gets up like a servant and puts on her shoes as she extends her leg out. And I'm guessing Gino for sure has a foot fetish, but who knows? And Gino says that the next few days will be just the two of them because they're going to go on Jasmine's $2,500 Christmas gift debacle trip that she insisted on planning because Gino did not get her a Christmas gift. And her friends have booked a separate suite at the hotel to party in and she's drinking with her friends and she says that she knows that she has a difficult personality, that she gets jealous about Gino over his ex-wife and that everything in his house is stuff from his ex that his ex and him have had mutually picked. And she explains that she got upset because Gino said that he liked the colors that him and his ex picked. And her friends tell her that she's crazy and they all laugh and high five like they know that Jasmine is missing a screw. And one of her friends says that she thinks Jasmine loves Gino, but Jasmine is a very jealous person who will leave no stern unturned to find things to dig up. And she hopes Jasmine can handle the situation and change and mature, or Jasmine and Gino will reach a point where they will have serious issues. Her friends tell her, listen, Gino flew during a pandemic to see you. And then we see a stripper come and he is grinding all over Jasmine as Gino sits alone in his hotel. 
if this was Gino having the divorce party again, no men allowed, and he got lap dances, Jasmine would be in prison for murder. The double standard glaring, glaring here. Next up are Caleb and Alina in Turkey, and they've been there a week, and Elijah will be flying home, leaving Caleb and Alina on their own. And they're meeting Elijah for dinner. Alina admits during confessional that Elijah has caused a lot of tension with Caleb, and she says something happened the night before that was awkward as hell. Elijah walked in on Caleb and Alina having sex. Caleb says it was weird that he turned and he just saw Elijah standing there in the room. And Elijah explains that Alina gave him the key to their room and he just walked in and he was staring at them. And Caleb asked why he stayed watching them. And Elijah said that he was checking out Caleb's body and then he left. And Alina wants to know why Elijah would unlock the door and walk in. And he says that he forgot his brush. And it was late at night, very late at night, in the middle of the night. So Caleb asks why Elijah would need the brush so late at night. And Elijah says that he wanted to go out. And Caleb says, at least you look good for it, I guess. And he responds to Caleb, you also looked good. Meaning he looked good when he was doing it with Alina. Alina is laughing, but you could cut the tension with a knife between Caleb and Elijah. Caleb seems annoyed, understandably, and he says he has no idea how to respond. And he has mixed feelings about Elijah leaving. He feels like Elijah is constantly trying to step on his toes and that he's a bit of a diva. But he did a lot to help Alina with her wheelchair and with everything. And now all the pressure falls on his shoulders with Elijah leaving. Caleb thinks he might realize that Elijah did a lot of things that Caleb took for granted. Now they're all sitting at the table and Elijah looks like he's up to mischief. He just has this look on his face and this look in his eyes. And he says, maybe we should play a game like never have I ever. And Alina agrees. Caleb thinks it's amateur college party stuff. Elijah starts the game and he says, never have I ever had sex with more than 100 women. And Caleb drinks because he has had sex with over 100 women. And he asks Alina if it bothers her, and she says, yeah, it does. In confessional, she says she didn't expect it to be that many women, and it worries Alina that he's just a player and not prepared for anything serious. When Elijah's turn of Never Have I Ever comes around, he drops a huge bomb. As Never Have I Ever kept a big secret. And Caleb looks at Alina and says, oh, that's interesting. And Elijah responds, isn't it? Like he's totally digging that he's about to create havoc. He's trying to force Alina to reveal her secret that when things got serious with Caleb, she was still living with her ex. And Elijah throws Alina under the bus. He says, spill it out, bitch, already. And in confessional, Elijah explains that Alina has held this secret from Caleb for a very long time and he's leaving. She won't have someone by her side that will push her to do the right thing. So he's that bitch and he did it and he takes full ownership of that. And obviously it's in everyone's best interest to tell the truth and it's the right thing to do. But I think Elijah forcing Alina's hand is a betrayal of sorts. You should always encourage your friends, like obviously do the right thing, but you should never force them. Caleb knows that he doesn't have a secret and he tells Alina that obviously Elijah means you. And she says she'll tell him, but she'll tell him in the room when they're in private. And Alina is angry at Elijah for forcing her hand, and she says it doesn't feel right. She knows that she has to come clean, but she wants to do it alone. She wants to do it in private. And Elijah asks Caleb what stage of the re relationship he's in and what he feels. 
And Caleb says that it's hard to say they have more time to get to know each other and they can't determine what everything means now prematurely. Alina says that she's tired of Caleb being indecisive. Caleb says there's no indecision, especially with what Alina has been hiding for 13 years, that they have to talk about that secret first before Alina presses him for some type of answer, some type of commitment. Alina says that she doesn't really want to pressure him, but she's really tired of him saying that they need to get to know each other more. She really isn't in a position to be pressuring him for any kind of definition of their relationship when there's a secret that he has yet to find out. Alina is really tired of Caleb's indecision, and Caleb says, you know, this isn't indecision. This is about them getting to know each other, and Alina really needs to reveal the secret to him before he can decide where the relationship lies. And Alina says she really doesn't want to pressure him anymore, but she really wants to know how much better he needs to get to know her before he can make a decision. And Caleb says that he doesn't want to answer until he knows what the secret is and that Alina isn't in a position to be talking. Alina retorts that he didn't even know there was a secret until Elijah brought it up, as if the secret shouldn't affect Caleb's response and he should know how committed he is with or without the secret. And that's really not the case. She feels Caleb is using the secret as an excuse to not firmly define their relationship. And obviously he needs to know what she's hiding first. And Caleb's right. How can you really define a relationship when you have just been told there's a secret and be expected to decide before knowing what that secret is? Alina is worried to tell Caleb because he might not trust her anymore. None of this would be happening if Alina told Caleb right away. It's way less nefarious than leaving it looming and progressing in a relationship to the point where Alina's friend lets him know because the longer Alina waits, the more Caleb will feel like her intentions were to deceive intentionally. Alina hopes it will go okay and not affect the relationship too much, but having a secret from day one doesn't bode well, and we'll see how that goes. Next up are Memphis and Hamza in Tunisia. And Memphis is still reeling from Hamza lying about his age. She feels deceived because Hamza said he was 28 and he's actually 26. She's struggling with it, but today they're going to go to the embassy to apply for marriage papers. They got a hotel like they should have in the first place. And Hamza's friend might drive them or they can take the bus. But Memphis isn't down with carrying luggage, taking a public bus during the pandemic. And I understand the embassy is in Tunis. That's two hours away. She insists Hamza must find a ride. So Hamza is calling his friends, scrambling to find a ride. He has no car and no license. And in an earlier episode, we learned that he got in a fight with his driving instructor. So he never completed getting a license. Memphis is frustrated that Hamza didn't plan and organize for this ahead of time. They knew they were going to the embassy two hours away in Tunis from the get-go, yet Hamza seems to be scrambling to handle everything on the fly. Memphis feels that it's crucial to get to the embassy pronto, because with C-19, you don't know how long everything might take. We really see Memphis's maturity level versus Hamza, and I wonder if it will show in other areas as well. They can't marry without the embassy's approval, and Memphis hopes Hamza understands that this is important. Hamza's friend Yusuf tries to save the day, but he forgot his license, so Memphis waits in the car so that Yusuf can go home and get it. Hamza apologizes, and Yusuf is doing them a huge favor for driving two hours to the embassy, but Memphis is annoyed. Memphis lets Hamza know that he needs to prepare for things. In confessional, Hamza says that Memphis nags a lot and he doesn't like her attitude. Memphis is mad. She feels they won't make it to the embassy. She's mad. She wants out of the car. 
She's causing a scene in front of the friend and Memphis wants to take a taxi, but Hamza says that's too expensive. Memphis questions Hamza and asks, do you really want to get married? Because you really don't seem to care. Memphis tells the camera she has a limited time to get married and this seems like a game to Hamza. She feels like he's not serious. She says that it's a maturity thing and about Hamza not being prepared and that it's Hamza not being a man. She feels like she's the adult and he's a child. That dynamic will be a problem. Hamza asks if she's sad and she explains, I'm not sad, I'm pissed off. So we'll see how it goes. Next up are Ella and Johnny. Ella is frustrated. She feels that things are falling apart. Johnny is her Asian prince and they've been talking for over a year. Johnny was supposed to go to Singapore and quarantine for two weeks and head to the US so they can meet for the first time. But his Singapore visa got denied so they're looking into other options so they can finally unite. And Ella may have found a solution but she feels like every time she finds a way, some new obstacle comes up. Ella meets with her best friend and her husband to talk about the situation and Dubai is an option for Johnny because he won't need a visa from China and he could quarantine in Dubai for two weeks and fly to America. But Johnny has told Ella he wants to delay the trip. He's worried because of the pandemic. Ella feels like this is an excuse. Uh, Johnny has a ticket to Dubai in two weeks, but he's very hesitant. And Ella feels that there's a pattern emerging that he won't come to the US and that she's wasting her time. The whole year, Ella has already tried to get Johnny to come to the US, but there has been one obstacle after another to delay repeatedly. This isn't the first time that they had plans for Johnny to unite with her in Idaho. Each time something comes up. Johnny has told Ella he wants to get a driver's license, he wants to bring over cash, but he's saying it's not a good time to come. Ella's friends feel that there is something Johnny isn't telling her. They suggest that it's possible his Chinese parents want him to marry a Chinese girl their traditional way, and maybe the issue is that Ella is an American. And Ella concedes, yeah, it's possible. She always asks Johnny what his parents think about their situation, and he only gives very short answers. Her friends say that Asians value family, and it's really hard to move away from those traditions. Ella says Johnny never brought this up, that his parents don't approve but that if parents are the reason he won't come, she'd be really upset because it would complicate the relationship if her in-laws don't like her. She wants to talk to Johnny to see the real reason he won't leave China, and she's done with excuses. She's told him where she stands, and he needs to tell her where he stands. Jimena and Mike are next up, and they're waking up on their romantic vacation in Salento, away from Jimena's crowded house, having one-on-one -on -one time. And last night, Mike found out some disturbing things about Jimena's past. He's concerned that she dated a hitman in the past, but it seems like Jimena wants to do better and move forward. And Mike is trying to leave the past in the past, and Jimena says the past is the past and that Mike really isn't the perfect treasure either. She calls her sister Wendy, her best friend, and she wants advice because there are things about Mike that bother her and she wants to deal with it head on. Jimena says that there are really sweet moments around her kids and moments also that aren't so great when she's alone with him. Jimena spills to Wendy that Mike is super gross. He farts all the time and he's messy. He throws clothes around like a kid everywhere. He burps a lot and he farts and burps even on top of her during sex. Wendy advises that these are things that happen occasionally once you're really comfortable with your partner in an established relationship. But if it's already starting out like this, how will things end up? Jimena says that if she had to tolerate three or four years of this down the line, she'd go crazy. She doesn't think that it's appropriate that already he's behaving this way. And she feels more like she's getting another kid, not a husband. Jimena feels Mike expects a mom to pick up his clothes, tolerate his farting, 
and she's very disappointed. Her friend tells her she needs to tell Mike this isn't good for their relationship, so he understands and changes. Jimena's going to talk to Mike. Her sister tells her every relationship has bad moments, but hopefully they figure it out. She didn't tell Mike as things were happening that she was uncomfortable because she didn't want to make him feel bad, but she really wants a partner on her level. She has two kids and she wants someone mature and responsible, not a man who can't take care of himself, let alone wipe his butt. Mike is a good person and she wants it to work, but she has to make sure he will change ways before she can commit to marrying him. Ben, 52 of Michigan, is next up. In 12 hours, he'll be traveling to Peru to meet his girlfriend, Mahogany, 24, for the first time. They met three months ago on social media, and according to Ben, they've developed the most romantic and spiritual connection he's ever had. He can't wait to see her for the first time. He pictures throwing down his luggage and running straight to her, just like in the movies. And Mahogany lives with her parents in San Bartolo, Peru. But first, they will be spending one night together in Lima, and he booked two rooms so he can give Mahogany her space. Ben is saving intimacy for after marriage, and he says, God commends waiting, and he thinks the best sex is worth waiting for. He knows meeting Mahogany is a huge risk that can go badly, but then he looks through the text, and that reassures him this is real. This is real love. And Ben says when he told his family, they were shocked and they were suspicious of the whole thing. But despite their concerns, his son Elijah is driving Ben to the airport. And ben, Elijah asks if he's sure about this. Ben says he's risking a lot, but he's already given Mahogany his heart. He's all in. He feels compelled to travel 4,000 miles. And he tells his son, you know, I don't do stuff like this that often or most of the time ever. But based on Elijah's expressions and past episodes, we know that Ben is incredibly gullible and he's done this before more than once. We know that he was catfished and we also know that he got involved in a relationship with a 28-year-old that didn't work out so great. So this isn't the first time. Ben hopes his son understands that Mahogany is a special person. And Elijah, at just 20 years old, is the voice of reason. He says, as long as she is... He wants to make sure his dad isn't making a hasty decision on a catfish. And Ben tells Elijah he really cares what his kids think and he wants them to be comfortable, but that people just don't understand how amazing Mahogany is. Keep in mind that Mahogany is 24, only four years older than his son Elijah. Elijah is much more mature than his dad already by leaps and bounds. He seems like the adult in the situation and Ben at 52 seems like an infatuated teen. Elijah tells his dad that he's already seen a couple red flags, but Ben says that if he fails, he's really willing to take the hit. Love is worth it. He's being skeptical because he cares about his dad, and all Ben can say is, thank you. Not, I care too, I appreciate that, I love you. Elijah hopes that his dad is being smart about Mahogany rather than jumping in too soon and getting in over his head like he always does. And Elijah really genuinely wants his dad to find someone who cares about him, that he loves back, but he really isn't sold that Mahogany is authentic. And Ben laments that he's been catfished before, so all of the his friends and family really don't believe that Mahogany is real. But he believes in love, and that's why he's so confident. He feels a freedom with Mahogany that he never felt in the past, especially in the religious controlled environment that he grew up in. He can be honest with Mahogany about all he has been through and she knows all of his baggage and she knows who he is as a person and she accepts Ben for who he is and she loves him as he is. He's talking about how excited he is as the hours get closer and closer in anticipation to be with her and he gets a text from Mahogany that isn't very encouraging. Her dad doesn't trust Ben's intentions and he doesn't want him coming at all.
Ben is speechless. He doesn't really know what to think. He's really disappointed because we learned that this is not the first time he has tried to meet Mahogany. A month ago, he was going to meet her for her birthday. They were both incredibly excited, counting down the days, counting down the hours till they could unite. But three days before her birthday, Mahogany called and she told Ben that he could not come because she wanted Ben to meet her parents and her parents were away. And hearing that her dad is skeptical of Ben makes him feel really worried, really concerned, but he doesn't feel that this is fair to their love. He doesn't want to upset her dad, but he tells Mahogany that God is in control and that Mahogany needs to trust her heart. He's getting on the plane regardless of what Mahogany says, and he hopes she will be there at the airport to meet him. But she hasn't responded to that text. Ben is still an optimist. He insists on this. It's not over. He won't give up, and he gets on the plane against Mahogany's wishes, against Mahogany's father's wishes. This guy doesn't know how to take a hint. He is so sold on the idea of love and uses this relationship with Mahogany as a way to feel worth and validate himself. He doesn't want to love to complement his life. He needs it. And despite the red flags, despite Mahogany telling him not to come, he's insisting and he's going to ignore everything in front of his face. A no for Mahogany to get what he wants. Really disturbing. I really didn't like how Ben tried to manipulate Mahogany by saying that God is in control, trust your heart, as an excuse to why she should ignore what her dad wants. His ego refuses to go home with his tail tucked between his legs and admit to everyone that they were right. Even if Mahogany exists, she obviously doesn't want to meet him, and I can't understand why he clings to this so much so that he will fly across the world when Mahogany doesn't even want him there. Self-worth has to be non-existent to chase a person who doesn't want you with all of their heart. He should really want better for himself, and he seems to be willing to accept whatever as long as he can say he has someone, and I think it's really sad. Back to Jasmine and Gino. Jasmine is having a great time drinking with her friends and enjoying the stripper for her divorce party. And she says having a stripper is no big deal. He was a professional just doing his job, but she feels guilty about leaving Gino alone while she enjoys the stripper. She says that she's super turned on. She's going to violate Gino. And at the end of the night, Jasmine and her friends surprise Gino in his room, and he feels good to be included. And her friends show Gino the video of the stripper grinding all over Jasmine. Gino seems annoyed, and Jasmine explains that she had no idea her friends would surprise her. But her friends tell Gino this is really no problem. Imagine Gino behaving like Jasmine. I really wonder if the night would end with Gino in a body bag. Jasmine says that this is normal to get a stripper. She asks if he's mad in front of all of her friends, and he says he doesn't like it. Jasmine shouldn't have gotten a stripper, and Gino wonders why her friends would show him that video. Gino says Jasmine is laughing along with her friends, and it's like she doesn't regard his feelings or care how he feels about it. Gino asks why her friends would show him the video and wave the stripper in his face. Jasmine doesn't think they were doing anything bad. Gino asks Jasmine how she thinks it makes him feel to see a guy all over her. And she says she had fun, it was her divorce party, and she never before in her life had a stripper. Gino asks Jasmine how she would feel if the tables were turned and his friends were showing a video of him with a stripper giving a lap dance. He asks if she would like it, and she says no. And he asks why she would do it. And she apologizes and says she feels bad, and she tells Gino that he is the only man she is attracted to. And he asks her, please, not to do it again. He appreciates the apology, but he thinks it was immature. Gino says he's trying to really decide if he's ready to propose to Jasmine by the end of the trip, but he really still doesn't know. I would run for the hills, but I have a feeling Gino isn't going anywhere. Next, Ella is finally talking to Johnny about the trip. 
And Ella feels like Johnny is using the pandemic as an excuse to delay coming to America and being united with her. And she says he's vaccinated. He even has a hazmat suit for travel. So it really doesn't add up. And she's incredibly frustrated. She asks Johnny to come and not delay the trip. And she wants to know what Johnny is thinking. Johnny says he's checked the infection curve in America and it's not looking safe. And if he gets sick in America, the hospital bill would be really expensive and he'd go bankrupt. And if he got sick in China, the government would pay for his treatment. Ella feels that the risk isn't so great and that he shouldn't choose to delay again that he should come to America. And Johnny says that's American thinking, that Americans are very free, but that Asians are culturally more cautious. And in China, they have strict lockdown policies where everyone stays home until the government deems that it's safe. But in the U.S., that things are really lax. And he feels that his health and safety aren't guaranteed if he comes to America. And Ella says that people are traveling during the pandemic and they're all fine. And she really feels there's another reason that he's hiding something. And she asks Johnny how his parents feel about him coming to the U.S. And he insists to her that his parents are happy for him. And Ella asks if they're okay with her being with him being with an American woman. And he says, yes, but in confessional, we learn Johnny reveals that his parents are concerned. He had a divorce before with the Chinese lady, but his parents interfered too much and he got a divorce as a result of their interference. So he really doesn't want his parents to interfere, but the pandemic makes it more complicated. If he gets sick, it would really prevent him from working and from providing for his son, for his parents, for his family. And Ella really isn't seeing that. She wants Johnny to see this through. He says that he's hesitant. And Ella says she's going to go nuts over this. She's been going crazy. It's affecting her emotional well-being. And Johnny says, well, they've been communicating peacefully. No one should get mad. No one should be disturbed. But Ella says that he's going back and forth and it's really taking an emotional toll because he won't come. She has been understanding because she knows Johnny is sacrificing a lot. And he really doesn't want to disappoint her. But he feels it merits discussion. And Ella says, listen, it's his choice, but she wants him here now with her, no exceptions. She's mad and she's devastated and she wants to wait for him, but she really feels like she wants to be happy now. She doesn't want to wait anymore. If Johnny doesn't come in two weeks and meet her in person, she'll move on even though she loves him. Memphis and Hamza are next up and they're heading to the embassy in Tunis, but it's two hours away and by the time they arrive, it will be closed. So they'll have to stay at the hotel and go in the morning. Memphis is really worried that the delay may impact her plans to marry. She's frustrated because she needs a reliable person in her and her kids' lives that she can trust and rely on. And Hamza isn't showing her he's reliable and it concerns her. He says he knows that they have to go to the embassy the next day instead because of his poor planning. So he'll make up for it at night at the hotel. And he says that it's different having privacy versus being at your family's house. They can have sex all night long. They can be as loud as they want. And Memphis loves the room. She's happy. She's all smiles. They get some drinks. And Memphis really feels like Hamza redeemed himself with the hotel. And again, she complains in confessionable about how it only took Hamza 30 seconds on the first night. So she's really looking forward to better from Hamza sexually. And it's really important for her that they have really good sex. And they're drinking. And Memphis tells Hamza not to drink too much so he doesn't get whiskey dick. But Hamza assures her it's no problem. And Memphis decides that she wants to have a serious talk in the middle of drinking. And she tells Hamza that she's worried that he's young and immature. And she's scared that he can't be trusted. She threatens that if they don't marry by the end of this trip, during this trip, 
that she will not return to the U.S. If she has to return to the U.S. unmarried, she doesn't want to continue their relationship. And Hamza is mad. And he feels if Memphis really loves him, she wouldn't break up with him over marrying him immediately by the end of the trip. And Hamza is worried that Memphis seems more concerned with being married in general to anyone and that it's not out of love for him. He's worried. Does she love me or does she just want to be married to someone? And she wants him to show that he can be a man. And if they don't marry, she will end the relationship because long distance is too hard for her. If Hamza cares about her, in her opinion, he will make sure they get married by the end of this trip. Next, we see Kim and Usman driving back to the hotel. And Kim says she feels defeated and she won't ask Usman again to be with her, to stay in her room for the rest of the trip. Usman tries holding her hand and being affectionate and Kim won't allow it. She's pissed. She thought that after a period of time, he would stay with her, but she was wrong about it. And as they're getting closer and time is ticking away, they should be intimate, getting to know everything about each other so that they make the right choice. And Kim says it has to be his choice from now on. She won't ask again. Usman asks her on the ride home if she's still pissed and she says they have a lot to figure out, but she prides herself on not being like his ex-wife, baby girl Lisa. She says she would never make him do things he doesn't want to do, but she seems to be shaming him and trying to use gifts and her momager role as persuasion. And that's just as manipulative and overbearing. Again, imagine a 50-year-old man and a 32-year-old woman and the guy buying gifts and doing things to impress and repeatedly asking for sex when the agreement was separate rooms. Would that be acceptable? This is the same thing. Usman says he just wants peace and Kim agrees she wants that too, but she wants to define things in their relationship in the next week. And the pressure Kim puts on Usman is gross. If she cared about Usman or she respected herself, she wouldn't behave in this way. Usman wants Kimberly to be happy, but moving into her room without being in a relationship yet was not part of the plan and he seems incredibly uncomfortable with it. And Kim says she doesn't want to nag him. He has to decide where the relationship stands and what his feelings are. And we see Kim two hours later, she's drinking in her room when she hears a knock on the door and it's Usman. And he reluctantly decides to spend the night. And you can see from his expressions, he isn't really all in, but Kim is all smiles. She says that there are no words to explain what's going on inside of her, knowing he's finally staying with her. She's excited that tonight could finally be the night that she's waiting for. And she asks Usman, do you want to watch a movie? Do you want to have sex? And Usman, <laughs> Usman shuts it down real quick. He says it's way too early for sex. He'll sleep in her room just to show her that he's serious about her. doesn't think that in any culture you can meet a person and just have sex immediately unless it's a prostitute who's doing it for money. And he really wants everything done respectfully. And I think he wants to feel respected and not just like a piece of meat. And she asks him to at least cuddle. And Usman says he wants a wall between them like a pillow barrier. And if he is to sleep in her bed, he expects there to be a barrier. And he half jokingly says he's afraid that in the middle of the night, she might try something. And she tells Usman he could show her his thing before the trip is over. I mean, it was gross. It's disgusting the way she objectifies him. Kim reiterates that she's overjoyed that he's even sleeping in her bed, but she's disappointed there won't be any sex. She's annoyed at taking baby steps and they say goodnight. And Kim immediately tries to move the pillow barrier and he tells her no again. This woman has no dignity or self-worth. Back to Alina and Caleb. They get back to the hotel after dinner and Caleb acknowledges that there is a weird vibe in the air. 
And he trusted Alina, and knowing she is hiding something really makes him question things. Alina feels overwhelmed, and she feels that if she comes clean, she might lose the chance to build a relationship with him. Alina lets Caleb know that her ex was more serious than he thought, and they were living together for a few months when Caleb and Alina started talking online. But she was still in a relationship with her ex, in an active relationship. And Alina says that it's scary to tell him because she really, really, really values a relationship with Caleb. She apologizes, and Caleb understands that Alina would be apprehensive about his reaction or about messing up their relationship, but that this reinforces that they should take time to get to know each other in person before they make any types of commitment. And Alina says, but they've known each other for 13 years, but Caleb feels online and in person are different, and they are different. They need more time in person, and he says that it took Elijah spilling the beans for this to even come out. So Alina was forced to come clean, and he isn't sure what else she might be hiding. And Caleb says that 13 years of knowing him didn't push her to want to be honest, so that history of 13 years of an online relationship doesn't hold as much significance as Alina thinks it does. And at this point, Caleb won't commit. He wants to see how things are after the week that they have left. And Alina still wants to have the conversation before they leave. And Caleb agrees. Yes, I've already agreed to that. And he's explained many times why he wants to wait to decide on committing and that this secret has only solidified his reasoning for not being able to commit yet. And he thinks it's one thing to stay with a guy while talking online to him, but something else to not be upfront about it. He feels commitment is based on trust and on trusting his partner when she will be halfway across the world. And Caleb says that she really puts his own feelings at risk and didn't care enough to be honest. And finding this out really makes him question if it was even worth it to meet Alina in the first place. Back to Mike and Jimena in beautiful Salento. Mike had a special day planned, but the weather isn't cooperating. And Jimena says in the past few days, she has seen things from Mike that are less than desirable, that these things can get in the way of their relationship. And Jimena is finally going to talk to Mike about what needs to change. And she tells Mike there are things about him that she really doesn't like. She mentions things like Mike leaving clothes everywhere, and he says he'll work on it. And she says there are things that she prefers he not do in front of her, like burping and farting. And it grosses her out and ruins their intimacy and affects her attraction to him. She tells him if he can't adjust, she doesn't know if she can be with him. Mike apologizes and says none of it was intentional, and he wants to really work on his behaviors that gross her out. Mike really wants to know where all this is coming from. He seems to understand that if he does behaviors that gross her out, she'll be repulsed by him and not be able to be intimate. And Mike said that when he farted during intimacy, it wasn't intentional, and he feels upset that she is calling him out on things that he can change. That isn't that it isn't as bad or as serious as horrible things like being a murderer or abandoning his kids, and he's surprised at how fast her attitude has changed. And she tells him he's a grown man, not a kid. He's too old to behave as he does, and she cannot live with him and be his mother. And Mike says that he knows he has a lot to work on, and he wants to work on it together to get better. And Jimena reiterates she will not marry him unless he changes. And he says he understands, but he didn't think that Jimena had any doubts about their relationship, and it really hurts hearing this. And I really feel Jimena should not have to ask a 34-year-old man to be neat with his clothes, and at the very least, not to burp or fart in front of her at all, let alone during sex. He should know better. And he says he'll try and change his habits, but that it's really concerning that she would be willing to end it all over that. And he wonders if there's something deeper going on that he still hasn't discovered. 
That brings us to the end of the episode. But next time on Before the 90 Days, Ben arrives in Peru. Ella and her mom talk about Johnny and Ella's option, the new option she found. And Mike is sitting down with him and his dad discussing his intention to marry her. But her father isn't 100% convinced. And Memphis discusses a prenup with Hamza. Hamza asks Memphis if she trusts him. And he's starting to feel a lot of doubt about marrying her because a marriage needs to be built on trust and respect. And Memphis insists she will not marry Hamza unless he signs. We also see Kim, again, interrogating Usman about why he won't have sex with her. And Usman finally tells her he doesn't want to be with her. And he leaves the hotel room and he's basically done. He seems like he's done with her. And Jasmine gets a message from Gino's ex that he has still been communicating with her. And it sounds like it's going to be a really good one. Anyways, thank you guys so much for watching 90 Day with Mary Jane Kay. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe. And see you all next week. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.